morning. Our scripture this morning comes from Romans 12. Listen for what God is saying to you. So brothers and sisters, because of God's mercies, I encourage you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. Because of the grace that God gave me, I can say to each one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Instead, be reasonable since God has measured out a portion of faith to each one of you. Love should be shown without pretending. Hate evil and hold on to what is good. Love each other like the members of your family. Be the best at showing honor to each other. Don't hesitate to be enthusiastic. Be on fire in the spirit as you serve the Lord. Be happy in your hope. Stand your ground when you're in trouble and devote yourselves to prayer. Contribute to the needs of God's people and welcome strangers into your home. Bless people who, who harass you. Bless and don't curse them. Be happy with those who are happy and cry with those who are crying. Consider everyone as equal and don't think that you're better than anyone else. Instead, associate with people who have no status. Don't think that you're so smart. Don't pay back anyone for their evil actions with evil actions, but show respect for what everyone else believes is good. If possible, to the best of your ability, live at peace with all people. Don't try to get revenge for yourselves, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It is written, revenge belongs to me, I will pay it back, says the Lord. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of the scripture. Amen. Thank you, Rachel. Um, so I come to you with a full cup. I just spent the last couple of days in St. Louis um, helping to lead a workshop for uh, lady preachers. And um, it was just awesome to see these women um, who come from churches that maybe don't validate their voices uh, or ha give space for their voices. Um, to be able to preach with fire. Um, and then also to hear about the ministries that they're engaged with um, in the St. Louis area. Um, so I have a question for our uh, Missourians in the room. So what do you call someone who's from St. Louis? St. Louisian? Yeah? Okay, so I was wondering about that and I figured I would ask that in front of everyone. Um, so, what was that? Elians? ST okay, this is getting out of hand. Um, but my cup is full, and so I come to you uh, just with a, a lot of joy in my heart and, um, and hope for the church. Let us pray. God, thank you so much for gathering us um, in this space, in this cool room on this hot morning um, to experience uh, the heat of your spirit, um, light a fire within us, and um, as I speak, speak through me so that those uh, flames can be fanned. We pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So if you come to my home, uh, you'll see that we have a fair amount of artwork that um, is hanging on the walls. And most of it is not especially like valuable in, a, in the monetary sense. Um, they're valuable um, because they've been picked up along the different travels that I've been on. I've got um, a cross from the French Quarter Market of New Orleans, um, an ink work from a small shop in South Korea, uh, an icon made by Coptic monks in Egypt, and a painting from a street artist in Thailand. And each item is valuable to me because each uh, piece of art carries a story with it, an encounter that I've had with someone along the way. 
When I would come home from a long trip and I would lug my bags up the stairs, uh, cursing the fact that I live on the third floor, uh, in spite of all of the laundry that had piled up um, along the way uh, and all the things that still needed to be put away, I would start, I would enjoy sorting through the different treasures that I had sort of picked up along the way of my trip. And because they're markers of the journey that I had been on, they represent a new experience, a point of growth, an encounter with a person or a place. And in their own way, they've helped to shape me. Well, here we are at the end of our own journey. We've completed our road trip through Romans, and it's time to unpack our bags, to examine the mementos we've picked up along the way. Way back at the beginning of July, we started off by talking about um, embodied faith, how showing up makes a difference. And we talked about two primary kinds of sin, corporate sin and individual sin. We talked about the gift of grace and the assurance that we have in knowing that we belong to God. And last week I talked about the dance steps of sanctification and how we can tell if we're really growing as people of faith. So here on this last day of the journey, we are coming back actually to home base, to the place where we started, to embodiment. Because the thing about Paul is that while he's a thinker, he's a scholar, that's how he was trained, he's also a doer. He has spent a lot of ink and paper talking with the Romans about faith. But he's kind of too antsy to stay there for too long. What he really wants to do is help them move from talking and thinking to doing. Kind of like what Frank, uh, what, Frank what um, Brett was talking about earlier. <laughs> Um, to, as we started out in this series, to embody their faith. And so the thing about embodied faith, in addition to showing up, which is step one, right, being present, is that embodied faith continues to change. It's ever-changing. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, if you were like me, maybe you had computer class in elementary school. You'd walk into the computer lab and it would be lined with those beige-colored monitors that flashed green letters and pixelated images. And computer class included things like taking a trip down the Oregon Trail, where you would learn, yeah, where you would learn about uh, just how deadly dysentery was, right? This was the height of computer sophistication when I was a kid. And if you had asked me then, I would have said I was pretty good at computers. And in a way, I was, right? This is the 80s, late 80s. Um, and at the time, I think uh, mine was actually the first or maybe second group to actually be doing things like taking computer class. But if I stayed there, if I stayed in Oregon Trail territory, right, and here I am in 2015, if that was still all I knew about computers, and I still thought I was good at computers, people would be thinking I was crazy, right? <laughs> um, even if I had kept up with computers, right, till say like 1995 or 2005, or 2010, I would still be far behind, right? Technology evolves so quickly, and so do the demands of a life of faith. Embodied faith continues to change. It must continue to change. As long as the world keeps changing, our faith has to keep up. This is what Paul is talking about when he's talking about being a living a living sacrifice. Your embodied faith requires something of you. But I'll get back to that in a minute. So Paul says God isn't just looking for bodies. God isn't just looking for hollow shells. Uh, maybe if you were here last week, um, God, I talked about how God isn't looking for kind of 
blindly obedient, thoughtless people to just follow the rules, right? God is looking for thoughtful, critical people who can make connections. So Paul puts it this way. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And like I said earlier, we've spent these last weeks revisiting some of the most core components of the Christian tradition. Grace, sin, salvation, sanctification. They're important, right? But they're not worth much if they don't make a difference in our lives or the world around us. God wants you to wake up to this. God wants you to wake up to this. But once you've been awakened, there's more. Waking up is only the beginning. So when I was, uh, I just mentioned I was at this conference, um, and uh, most of the women, it was probably about, I'd say, you know, 75% of the women there were African-American. And of course, uh, what was hap- what's been happening in Ferguson was you know, a recurring topic um, in conversation. And a woman shared about how her uh, she had really, you know, kind of walked sort of a straight and narrow path and raised her son to, to kind of walk a straight and narrow path. And so she thought that her son would be okay. And then he happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, in a public place, um, and had an encounter with police um, and experienced some uh, physical uh, results from that, was, was beaten um, by police. And she she was undone by it because she had done all of the right things, she thought. And and she didn't know what to do. She was at a loss. She said, uh, you know, my son was at the the, um, mercy, not just of the police, but at all of the bystanders who were standing on the side of the road. He, He needed those people on the side of the road to do something, to say something. Otherwise, who knows how far it would have gone. And so she said, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful that my son made it through. But it has made me realize, it has woken me up, that I'm not going to be safe, and my son is not going to be safe. I spent my whole life thinking that if I just did the right things, right, if I followed the rules, then I would be safe, that my son would be safe, and that just wasn't the case. Once you have been awakened, it's only the beginning she's realizing that there is more that needs to be done. So this phrase, be transformed by the renewing of your minds, comes from this Greek word, logica, logike, latreia. Logike, as in the word logical, right, your logic, and latreia, which means devotion or worship. So thoughtful worship, intelligent worship. God wants people who are not just transformed by the gospel, to understand all of those things that we talked about over the last few weeks, but who are being transformed, who are continuing to be transformed, spiritually as well as intellectually. God uh, has shared a vision with us, right? That's what the gospel is. That's what the story of uh, God's wanting to be in relationship with us is. Sharing a vision with us, a vision of wholeness of life for all. It's a vision that not only opens our eyes to how messed up the world is, but also how good the world can be. How good the world could be. But kind of like with my third grade computer classes, you've got to keep growing. You've got to keep transforming. Keep engaging that vision. Go to it and then come back, right? I'll put it another way. God isn't just trying to wake people up. God wants people to stay woke. 
God wants people to stay woke. And in order to stay woke, you've got to do the work. You've got to put the pieces together. You've got to be doing the back and forth, the touch and go, from life to faith and faith to life. And it's not a mystery how to do it. Paul is pretty straightforward about how this is supposed to go down. He says, love from the center of who you are. Hate what is evil. Hang on to what is good. Love one another. Show each other honor. Don't let yourself burn out. Keep your spirit filled. Rejoice in hope. Don't quit when things get tough. Keep praying. Keep praying. Help each other out. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless the people who want to hurt you. Can you believe? Can you believe that? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Get along with each other. Make friends with nobodies. And don't feel the need to be somebody. Seek to live peaceably with everyone around you. It's not rocket science. But I'd be lying if I said I had five or more of these covered on any given day. You just had to read my Facebook update last yesterday. yesterday. <laughs> about people who save seats on Southwest flight. <laughs> because you see, the problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps trying to crawl off the table, right? It's no fun to be sacrificed. Even if you know you're not going to die. Because sacrifice still means that something is being put to death, right? And the living being to which it is attached to doesn't want to feel that kind of pain. But what is being put to death is your acceptance of the world as it is. And this leads to the death of all kinds of things, right? Apathy, passive acceptance, lack of imagination, standing on the margins while life is being played out around you. All of that gets put to death continually. You can't just be transformed. Oh, that happened, right? I, I got computers down. You've got to keep transforming. Once you're awakened, you have got to stay woke. In the face of all that is going on in this world, you've got to cling to what is good. You have to cling. They use that word intentionally because, my goodness, if we kept looking at the world around us, we saw the carnival of death playing around, out around us, we would lose our minds. People are losing their minds. We have to cling to what is good. Paul reminds us, I don't know if you caught this in the passage today, Paul reminds us that we have to stand our ground. Can you believe that? Stand our ground in hope. In this country, a stand your ground law says that you don't have to retreat from any place you have a lawful right to be. Stand your ground allows a person to protect and defend their life and limb against a threat or a perceived threat. This law became real famous with Trayvon Martin. In God's kingdom, in God's kingdom, stand your ground also means protecting and defending your life and limb. It also means you don't have to retreat from any place that you are called to be. But instead of coming out of a place of fear and violence, we stand our ground in fierce hope and bold peace. Fierce hope and bold peace. We are a people of fierce hope. We are not a despairing people. In spite of everything that's happening around us, we can be a grieving people. 
We can be an angry people. We can even be a troublemaking, pot-stirring people. But we cannot, we cannot, we are not a despairing people. We are a people of hope. As Christians, we are obligated to hope. Actually, a question that I asked um, one of my colleagues at this conference was, I, I said, I'm tired of saying the same, preaching the same sermon every week. What do we do about that? She said, as Christians, we are obligated to hope. I don't have a choice. That's part of the, it's part of the deal. It's part of the commitment to God. It's part of the fine print of salvation. We are obligated to not just say that the world was made for more, but to believe it, to work toward it. We crawl back onto the altar against every instinct, right? Because that's the place, that's the place where we stand our ground. With every living sacrifice that we make, with every act of embodied faith and thoughtful worship, we are animating hope and enacting peace. I think it's so interesting how our passage today ends by talking about revenge, right? At first, it might seem like a strange way to close out this chapter. It might seem odd to talk about God's wrath after all of this talk about love and hope and peace, but let's be real. People are angry, right? People are angry, and they have every right to be angry. They have every reason to be full of rage. At this conference, when I was there, I was invited by a local pastor to drive out to Ferguson and see the place of Michael Brown's death. And it was a quiet day. And if you don't know the area um, that had been on, if you didn't know that the area had been on fire about a year ago, you might never know that anything had happened there. So you see in this photo, this is the memorial that has been set up right where he died. And if you look a little closer, you'll see that the asphalt is a little bit darker, right? You see that? It's a kind of big square. The reason why it's darker is that is the exact place where uh, Michael Brown was shot. And as his body was laying in the street, it, it lay there for so long, just about all the blood had run out of him. And by the time uh, the by the time the vehicle um, came to get him, it was pulled up in that spot, and they just took his body away. But they left the blood. Right? It was August 10th last year, and if this week has been any indication, it was hot. Right? And it was going to get a little hotter before it got cooler. And do you know? I didn't know this actually. Do you know what happens when uh, blood bakes into pavement? It doesn't wash out. It becomes part of the ground. His grandmother's house, so if you go down this road a little bit further, his grandmother's house is just a few hundred feet away. He was walking to his grandma's house. And every day when, they would, when his family and his friends would walk around that street, right, there was this stain that was in the middle of the street, and it wasn't going to go away. So his family, after a while, asked that this uh, asphalt be replaced. So they uh, tore up the street and they put some new pavement there. Nothing will bring Michael Brown back or Sandra Bland back or Tamir Rice back or Eric Garner or Trayvon Martin or any of the others who have been victims of systemic oppression 
of systemic fear, of violence. There is so much rage. There is so much anguish. There is so much despair. But that's only half of the story. That's only half of the story. Because if you keep listening, if you keep listening, you'll hear hope. If you keep listening, you'll hear solidarity. If you keep listening, you will hear conviction. God did not want these people to die, but now that they have, God will not let them die in vain. Revenge belongs to me, God says. I will pay it back. Turn your face toward hope. Turn your face toward hope because my hope is not toothless. My hope is fierce. My hope looks like thousands upon thousands of people gathering in protest, not just in Ferguson, but around this country. My hope looks like a new generation of young leaders rising up to dismantle oppression in new ways in creative ways. My hope looks like good Christians waking up and staying woke. My hope looks like you and me being transformed over and over and over in our minds and our bodies and awakening others for transformation as well. Move your feet toward peace and truth and community and all the things that make this kingdom come. That's what you fix your mind on. Do that, God says, and leave the rest to me. Leave the rest to me. And that's hard work, right? It's hard work to let go of that. It's hard work to believe for real, for real, that something better is going to come. But as Christians, we are obligated to hope. That's what a living sacrifice looks like. I will let my thirst for revenge go. I will give it to God. And I will let it fuel the fire in my belly. I will replace the blood stain with a hope stain. I will be awakened and I will stay woke. Let us pray. God, we thank you. We thank you, even though it was hard, that you have woken us up. We thank you, even though it's hard, that we can replace a blood stain with a hope stain. So help us. Help us to be continually renewed by the transforming of our minds. Help us to stay awake and stay woke. Amen.